Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. Luke presents our Savior Jesus. That's who he is. He is the final sacrifice for sin forever. He is the substitute. He is the perfect man, the one who died and rose again and gives eternal life. As we continue studying, we're seeing, of course, Jesus on the cross. He's dying for us. We study God's Word. There's so many things we've been seeing. We've been looking at this fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies with the first coming of the Messiah. Where there's going to be more, we'll see more as well. We're seeing also the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. We're seeing that He dies for our sins, that He provides the way of salvation. In fact, John 14:6, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. This morning, we're going to see the final two sayings of Jesus while He's on the cross, and they're powerful truths. What does He say? What does He mean? As we see these statements, we realize what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has done it all. All who believe in Him have eternal life. May we be encouraged by our study of God's Word this morning. You know, in the first century, uh, in the city of Philippi, there was a jailer who asked the greatest and most important question that anyone could ever ask. He was speaking to the Apostle Paul, as found in the book of Acts, chapter 16, and here's his question. He says, what must I do to be saved? What must a person do to have eternal life, to have an eternal relationship with God, to be saved from separation from God? What must a person do to be able to to go to heaven? What must a person do to please God, to be right with God? Some people say, well, you, you, you do the best you can. You try to live a good life. You try to do what's right, keep the Ten Commandments, turn away from sin, maybe get baptized. Try to do good things. So my question is, how many good things and for how long? In fact, the righteousness of man is filthy rags. We cannot do good. In fact, the wages of sin is death, not good works. So what can we do to please God? The answer is very simple. Nothing. God is already pleased. He is already satisfied, not by what we do or what we might try to do, but by what Jesus Christ has already done. Jesus has died on the cross and rose again. He has paid for sin and God is satisfied. 1 John 2, 2 says he's a satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. What can we do? Nothing. Jesus has done it all. He is the Savior. Paul's answer was very clear in Acts 16, 31. Here's what he says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. We are saved by faith in Christ. Salvation comes not by our works, our goodness, our righteousness, but by faith alone in Christ alone. We trust in Him as our Savior. We trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. John 3.16, God so loved the world, that's us, that He gave His only begotten Son, that's Jesus to die on the cross and pay for sin and rise again, that whosoever would believe, that's anyone who will trust in Christ, would not perish but have everlasting life. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This morning we see Jesus on the cross and he says, It is finished. He has finished the work. He has paid for sin. It is done. We simply take the gift of eternal life by faith. May we be excited and thankful For all that God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, giving Him all the glory. 
for the salvation that we have. Well, let's begin. We've been seeing Jesus on the cross, and it's powerful. And in one sense, we say it's so sad because he's dying there for us. And as we look at this event, we've already seen a number of Old Testament prophecies that, that, are, that are fulfilled. One of the prophecies said he would be numbered with the transgressors, and he was. He was numbered with those, those two criminals. And that they pierced his hands and feet. That's Psalm 22. They cast lots for his clothes. It's also Psalm 22. They gave him vinegar to drink. at Psalm 69. They made fun of him. The Old Testament said they would come by and they would make faces at him and that's just what they did. And so we've seen a number of Old Testament prophecies already fulfilled. In fact, before it's over, even next week, we're going to see a couple more that are fulfilled even after he dies on the cross. It's very powerful. We've also been looking at the seven sayings or statements of Christ while he's on the cross. Three are found in the Gospel of Luke. We have to go to the other Gospels to find them. Let me remind you what they are. Just put a little bit up there on each one. But the first one is he says, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He's talking about the soldiers as they crucifying him. The second one, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's what he said to the thief on the cross who had believed in him. The thief looked at him and said, don't forget me when you come in the kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise because he believed in Jesus. The third one, he talked to his mother. He said, woman, your son. And then he said to John, uh, John, behold, your, your mother. And so he was giving his mother to John to take care of um, while, while he was dying. And then the fourth one, which we saw last week, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus took the sin of mankind on himself, he was separated from the Father. And on the cross, he's paying for our sins. And he says, why have you forsaken me? And the fifth one, we also saw last week, he said, I thirst. Literally, I am thirsty. And the reason he said that is it fulfills Scripture, but he's getting ready to say something that is the most important one for us, and that's six and then seven. But six, he says, it is finished. The work is done. And then he ends it by saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we'll see those. We're going to see the final two this morning uh, because we've been seeing these over the weeks. Powerful truths concerning our salvation. You should never take for granted what Jesus Christ has done. So many of us, you grew up in church and you've heard the story of Jesus dying on the cross and paying for sin and rising again and all of these things. And yet it is so powerful because Jesus indeed is the Savior. And he gives to us eternal life as a gift, all who believe in him. Let me break down the passage for you this morning. We've got to go to two places. We're going to go uh, beginning to John 19. We'll turn there in just a minute. John 19, verse 28 through 30. We see where Jesus says he's thirsty. That's his, uh, his fifth statement. And then he says uh, they, they bring him sour wine and then he says the sixth statement which is a key one it is finished we'll see that and then we'll go back to the gospel of luke and where jesus gives up his life we see jesus dies we see a statement where he says into your hands i commit my spirit we see the centurion's response to jesus death and then we see the crowd's response so there's a lot of things there now as we begin let me remind you of the flow so you can remember where we are on Passover evening, after they ate the Passover meal, Jesus and his men went into a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, which was on the side of the Mount of Olives. The garden, the word Gethsemane, means the place of the olive press. They went up on top of a mountain which overlooked Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives. They were in a garden there, and they were arrested. Jesus was arrested by the religious leaders, and during the night, all night long, they had two trials by the Jewish people, by the Jewish religious leaders, and they found him guilty. They waited till very early in the morning. They brought together the whole ruling body of Israel called the Sanhedrin, and they had a third trial, and they found him guilty. And then by 7 o'clock in the morning, they had taken him to Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor. Pilate saw him, found him not guilty, sent him to a, a, a Roman leader by the name of Herod, Herod Antipas. He found him not guilty, brought Jesus back, and, and Pilate one more time found him not guilty. And yet the crowd had such an uproar that Pontius Pilate finally, <coughs> finally gave in and said, Okay, we'll release this man named Barabbas, and we'll have Jesus crucified. 
And they took Jesus and put him on the cross. And this was by 9 o'clock in the morning. And from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock, Jesus was on the cross. And he said those first three statements in that that three-hour time period. And so we, we saw those and those first three statements that he made, uh, forgive them and, in, and you, today you'll be in paradise and woman behold your son, son behold your mother. And then something happened at 12 o'clock. At 12 o'clock it turned dark. And from 12 to 3 there was darkness on the face of the earth. And what was happening is God was taking the sin of mankind and placing them on Jesus Christ. Your sin and my sin and the sin of every human being that's ever lived and ever will live was placed on Jesus Christ. And it was a separation from the Father and the Son because the Son was taking sin and he was being separated from the Father. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which was the time of the evening sacrifice, when Jesus had taken the sin of mankind on himself, he cried out his fourth statement, which is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was being forsaken because the Father broke fellowship with the Son because the Son is being separated. The wages of sin is death. Death is separation. Jesus is dying spiritually, being separated from God the Father because of our sin. And we saw that last time. And it's a very powerful thing. And now, let me, let me remind you of something in case you don't understand this. When Jesus Christ was separated from the Father on the cross, taking our sin upon himself, he dies and he pays the penalty of sin then. Some people are confused and they think when Jesus died physically on the cross, that's when he paid for sin. No, he paid for sin when he was separated from the Father. We know that because after his separation, he says the words we're going to hear this morning, he says, it is finished. The payment has already been made. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, spiritually being separated from the Father, that's when he paid for our sins. He dies physically so that he can rise from the grave and conquer physical death because physical death is a result of spiritual death. And he does it all. He pays for our sin, then he dies physically and rises from the dead to conquer physical death as well. So it's very powerful. So when we see Jesus on the cross being separated from the Father, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's because he has our sins on him being separated from the Father. He is dying spiritually because the wages of sin is death. Now, as we continue, I want you to hold your place in Luke chapter 23 and turn to John chapter 19. John 19, and we're going to start at verse 28, and we're going to see Jesus. Actually, we're going to see his fifth statement on the cross, which is, I'm thirsty, and then we're going to see the sixth and the seventh, the two that we haven't really looked at. So turn to John chapter 19, look at verse 28. Now there's some words in that verse that we looked at last week that are very powerful that you must understand. John 19, look at verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture said, I am thirsty. Now here's what I want you to see. Here's his fifth statement, I am thirsty. But before you see that, realize that he said all things had already been accomplished. You understand that? What has been accomplished? The payment for sin has been done. Notice when he said all things had already been accomplished is when he said I am thirsty. He has been separated from the Father. The wages of sin is death. He has died for us. He has paid for our sins. He has made the payment. Remember, Every one of us in this room, we're sinners. We need a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. He died in our place, being separated from the Father. He has done it. Now, it goes on to say, 
that after Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, he's paid for sin, to fulfill Scripture, he said, I am thirsty. This is his fifth statement. I think it's the next one. He says, I am thirsty. And this fulfilled Psalm 69, verse 21, that says, They gave me gall for food, and when I was thirsty, they gave me vinegar to drink. Now watch what happens. He says, I am thirsty. Now there's a reason he says this. Because the next statement that he makes, he wants to make sure everybody can hear it. And since he's dying, since he can't speak very well, he says, I'm thirsty because he needs to be able to speak well. Look what they do. Verse 29. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Now I want you to understand that at the cross, here's Jesus up on the cross, there are at least four Roman soldiers there, there's a centurion there, there are two other people being crucified, each one of those has four soldiers with them as well, there's a large crowd there, there are the religious leaders there, there are the women there, there are other people, they're all over the place, everybody's watching this. They had what they call sour wine, sometimes called vinegar. It was very cheap wine. It was what the poor people would drink. And they had some in, in basically in a bucket, best we could tell. It was there. And Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And so somebody took a sponge and dipped it down in that wine. Then they took a branch, a little hyssop, a little branch, and they put it on the end of it. And then they reached it up so that it could come up to his mouth and he could suck on that, on that sponge to get a little bit of that wine out because he wants to be able to speak. Because the next words he's going to say are the most important words that we need to hear. We have to understand these next words. A lot of people don't. They act like they do, but they don't. Because they tell you to do things to get saved. They say you need to walk down an aisle, give your life to Jesus, turn away from your sins, get baptized, keep the Ten Commandments, do this and do this. They don't understand what Jesus is about to say. So you need to understand this. This is very powerful. It says, A jar of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. The thing that he's about to say is going to cover the whole Bible. It's going to go all the way back from Adam and Eve all the way to the book of Revelation in which you see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's going back to the seed of woman, to Abraham, to David, to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, all the way to the future in which we see the Alpha and the Omega. Because this message covers the whole Bible. And that is that the way of salvation is accomplished. You remember in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. And God gave a promise to them. He said the seed of woman is going to come crush the head of the serpent. That was the promise that one day God would send a Savior. That God would send someone to deal with man's sin. And from Adam and Eve on, mankind had been looking for the Messiah to come. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to David to Daniel all the way up until John the Baptist pointed Jesus out and said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one. And he's dying on the cross. He's been separated from the Father. He has paid for the penalty of sins. Everything that happened from Adam and Eve all the way up has now been accomplished. God has paid, has been satisfied, and the payment has been made. And watch what Jesus says. This is his sixth statement. He says, it is finished. Notice. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit now it is finished what does he mean it's completed his work is completed he has paid the price you remember we said he came to do the will of the father the will of the father was for jesus to die on the cross to take our sin the wages of sin is death he has died already he has been separated from the father he has paid the price 
Now, where it says, it is finished, in the Greek, it is one word. It is the word telesta. It means, it is finished. In that day and time, when a servant had a job to do, and the servant did the job and came back to the master, he would say, telesta, it is finished. When they took an animal to the priest, and before the animal could be sacrificed, the priest had to look at it, and he had to check it all out, make sure it was okay, and then he would look and he would go, Telestah, it is finished, it's okay. If you had a bill and you went in and you said, how much do I owe? And the guy said, you owe 20. And you said, here's the 20. The guy would give you a thing and he would write, Telestah, it is finished, it's complete. When Jesus Christ died on the cross being separated from us, from the Father, at the end he says, it is finished. The payment has been made. Jesus Christ has done it all. The payment has been made. 1 John 2, 2, he is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. The word satisfactory payment is the word propitiation, which means God is satisfied. What do we have to do to deal with our sins? Nothing. You can't deal with your sins. There are a lot of people who say, well, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to live the best life I can live. I'm going to try to do what's right. I'll try to keep the Ten Commandments. I'll give money. I'll join the church. I'll get baptized. I will try not to sin. Would that satisfy you? And God says, no, I'm already satisfied. You can't do anything. Jesus has already done it Oh, do you understand that you don't earn your salvation? You don't do one thing for your salvation? Jesus Christ has already done it all, and you take the gift of eternal life simply by faith? God is satisfied. It is God who loved you that gave His Son that whoever believes has eternal life. Do you understand that the work of salvation is already done? The payment for sin has already been paid. It is complete, and it is finished. And God is satisfied. And you don't have to satisfy God because you can't. You take the gift that he's offering to you through Jesus Christ. It is that simple. Now, there are a lot of people who add things to it. That doesn't make it right. It is so simple that anyone who believes will have eternal life. God has done it all. God has done it all. It is not what you do for God that saves you. It is what God has already done for you through Jesus Christ. Just remember that. I pray that every one of you in this room, and there's a lot of you I know personally, there's some of you I do not know. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That you understand that he died on the cross. He died on the cross when he was separated from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He paid the penalty then. It is now finished. And he offers to us the gift of eternal life. And any one of you in this room, if you've never trusted in Christ where you're sitting right now, you can believe that Jesus is your Savior. You can believe that he died for you and rose again. You can trust in him for eternal life. It is that simple. By the authority of the Scripture, the moment you believe, he gives you eternal life. Realize this, that Jesus is the Savior. He has paid for sin. It is finished. Go ahead to the next slide. He offers the gift of eternal life simply by faith. And so what do you do? You receive the gift. That's why I love Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, getting what you do not deserve, you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. 
It's the gift of God. Let me tell you, if you have to do one thing for it, it's no longer a gift. To understand the greatest truth of all, that it's already been done. And we receive the gift of eternal life. Now notice what happened. Verse 30, it says, When Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And then it says, He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now I want you to realize that Jesus Christ laid down his life. He didn't just die. He's the one in control. He lays down his life, and as he says, I'm going to lay down my life. Three days later, I'm going to take it up again. He died physically so that he can conquer physical death. Because as I said a while ago, physical death is a result of spiritual death. He's already paid for the sins of mankind before he ever dies physically. It is already finished. Now, there's one thing we've got to see, and because he actually says one more thing before he dies physically, and I want you to go back to Luke 23, turn back there, and the verses that we read earlier this morning, in verses 46, 47, 48, and 49, we're going to see Jesus in his final statement. 23, verse 46 says, And Jesus cried out with, crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. The seventh statement of Jesus, the last statement is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You understand he's back in the fellowship with the Father. He was separated from the Father when he took our sins upon himself. He was out of fellowship with the Father when he took our sins. He was separated. He died for us. But the payment's been made. He's back in the fellowship. It is finished. And he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's quoting Psalm 31 verse 5. He took our sin. Fellowship was broken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Payment has been made. It is finished. And now he's back in the fellowship into your hands. Notice again that Luke says, having said this, at the end of verse 46, having said this, he breathed his last. Literally in the Greek it says, he gave up his life. He's in control. He lays down his life. He decides when he dies. He decides when he's coming back. What is the response well, first of all, as I said to you, that when a person was crucified, there were four soldiers sent out, sort of like a little group. They were sent out, and they, they were to oversee the proceeding. We're going to find out at, at, this, at this crucifixion, because there's three people being crucified, there's also a centurion. That's a Roman soldier who controlled a thousand, excuse me, a hundred soldiers. And so he's there. Watch what happens when Jesus dies physically. Verse 47, Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Now, it's going to be more than that. It looks like he's just saying, I think this man was innocent. We'll give, I'll give you more information in just a second. But he says, when he saw what had happened, well, what had happened? Well, the darkness. where Jesus had said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He talked about paradise. He took care of his mother. He said, it is finished. When this man saw all of this, it says he began praising God. Now, literally in the Greek, it says he began to give glory to God. That's what he's doing. He saw G who Jesus really was. He says, certainly this man was innocent, but the Greek word for innocent is the word for righteous. He says, this is a righteous man. Now, you can't tell it here, but if you go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse 39, you find out what he also said. He not only said he was a righteous man, he says, certainly this man was the Son of God. And so to put it together, this man, this, the centurion said, this man was the righteous Son of God. Now, let me be honest with you. Whether this man believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, we don't know. We would like one day to be in heaven... And say, hey, 
Are you, are you the centurion? Yeah, I'm the centurion. I was the one. I was the one that saw it and believed. Wouldn't that be the greatest? We don't know, but let me tell you what he said. He said, this is the righteous son of God. That's what he said. And what I'm hoping is that he understood who the righteous son of God was and he believed in Jesus Christ as his Savior, the son of God who gives eternal life. He knew there was something special about Jesus. He saw how he loved and how he forgave even on the cross. Now, what about the crowds? Look at verse 48. And all the crowds who had come together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return beating their breasts. Now, the crowds came together, and it says, for the spectacle. Literally, it says, for this viewing. See, it's just like a lot of things. They're going to crucify three people, so the crowds have all come to see them die. Just like in the old days when they say, there's going to be a hanging. Everybody would go for the hanging. There's going to be a crucifixion. Everybody wants to go see these people die on the cross. The crowd that had come together for the spectacle, for the viewing, when they observed what had happened... They saw what had happened. They turned. They returned. It said they, they went back. They began to leave, beating their breast. And beating breast means a, 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 a motion like, oh, my gracious, oh, my gracious. They saw something looked wrong here. When they saw Jesus dying on the cross and when they saw him die physically, they said, you know, this is not right. This, this is not right. I want you to realize that from man's view, what happened that day, people could look at it and say, that looked wrong. That, that man was an innocent man. That should not have happened. And there were a lot of people there, I'm sure, who said, I don't think he's supposed to have died. I think that was wrong. That's man's view. But from God's view, that's the plan. That Jesus Christ would be the one to come and to die on the cross, to be separated from the Father, to pay for our sins, to die physically so he could rise from the grave and conquer death. That's the plan because he is the Savior. That's what it's all about. From man's view, look bad. From God's view, he says, this is the plan. This is exactly what has to happen. Now look at verse 49. And all his acquaintances, that's the people who knew him, and the women, he always kind of takes the women there and points them out, and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. They were standing back because they didn't want to get too close. Sometimes it was dangerous to be too close, and so they were back watching all this. Now, he, he really points out the women, and the women were amazing because they ministered to him. They were with him. They never left him. I want you to notice something. The women were at the cross. The women are going to be at the burial, and guess what? They're going to be at the resurrection. The first people that Jesus appears to in his resurrection are these women because they were always there. They were faithful. Well, next time, we're going to see a man by the name of Joseph from a little town called Arimathea. He's going to come get the body of Jesus. He's going to come to Pilate, and he says, I would like the body. Because let me tell you what, at the end of a crucifixion, normally they took the bodies off, and they threw them in a mass grave and just covered them up. Because they were nothing. They were criminals. They just threw them away. But Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pontius Pilate and says, I would like the body of Jesus. Because he didn't want him just thrown in some grave. He wanted the body. He'd already had a tomb fixed to put Jesus' body in. We're going to see that another man comes with Joseph to take the body of Jesus. We'll find out who that is next time. And let me tell you something I want you to think about. It says that Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel. He did not consent to the death of Christ. And he is called in the Bible a secret disciple 
Can you be a secret disciple? The answer is, yes, you can. And we're going to see about this man next week. We're also going to see two more prophecies that were fulfilled while Jesus, after he died while he's still on the cross. We'll see that next time. What have we seen this morning? We've seen Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Why? Because he had something to say. And so they got the sour wine, and after he was ready, he said, it is finished. It has been done. He has done the will of the Father. The payment has been made. Jesus is the Savior. We take the gift of eternal life. Jesus offers his life back to the Father. He's back in the fellowship. The response by the centurion, he says he's the righteous Son of God. And the people that were sadness, and the women and the others were from afar. They were looking and seeing what happened. Next time some great truths as we continue. Let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Trust in Christ, not yourself, for salvation. See, that's the only way of salvation. It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. In fact, hey, we are all sinners. We are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. There's not one thing we can do. We're all sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The righteousness of man's filthy rags. There's nothing we have to offer. So just remember, B, that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin when he was separated from the Father on the cross, when he took our sin upon himself. He has done it. That's why it is finished. And so, by faith, in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, John 3, 16. There's over 150 places in the New Testament that say it's faith alone in Christ alone. Let me read this verse to you because I want you to understand that salvation is always a gift and it never costs you anything. Listen to this. Revelation, very end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 and 17. Jesus is speaking and he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you. He's talking to John. To you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And then he goes on to say, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears say, come. And the one who is thirsty, listen carefully. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. It never cost you. It cost Jesus. It cost the Father. But it never cost you anything. It is not what you do. It's not what you give. It's not what you promise. It's not what you think you're going to do. It is all what Jesus Christ has done, and it costs you absolutely nothing. He gives you the gift of eternal life. What do we do? Let's proclaim it. Let's tell people about Jesus Christ, that he's the Savior. Just as the centurion said, he's the righteous son of God. We scatter out in this community. We go on that campus and we tell people that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that he died on the cross, that he paid for sin, that he rose again, that he gives eternal life to all who believe. And see, that's the key. He died and rose again, providing salvation. Let's make known the message. Be ready. To share your faith. What do you do? Well, you have a method. Know know where you're going to go in the scripture. Be ready to share your faith. If you don't think you're ready, call me. I'll get with you one-on-one or I'll get you with somebody else. And we will make sure that you are confident to share your faith. Second, be praying. Praying for people that you come in contact with every day that you don't know whether they're a Christian or not. Pray, God, give me an opportunity to talk to them. And there's no telling what will happen. In fact, if you pray for the opportunity to talk to somebody, you better be ready because he'll give you the opportunity. The third thing is be faithful. Be faithful to do it. By faith in Jesus Christ, anyone will have eternal life, whoever believes. May we proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior, knowing that all who trust in Him, trust in the one who died and rose again, all who trust in Him will have eternal life. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for this great truth. Lord, thank you that Jesus is the Savior, not ourselves, and we trust in Him. We cannot save ourselves. He paid the penalty. He died. He was separated from the Father. Lord, we realize by faith alone in Christ alone we have eternal life. Lord, may we proclaim that. I pray that if anyone in this room has never trusted Christ right now, they will trust in Him for eternal life. And Lord, for those of us who know Christ, when we go into this community, may we make known the great truth of salvation by faith in Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.